0: Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Wednesday, December 1st, 2021. Today I want to talk about two attributes of God that oftentimes people have a hard time reconciling. People want to think of these two attributes as kind of opposites that work against each other, when what we're going to see from a couple places today is they are actually in perfect unison working together, not opposite of each other, and that is really God's justice and His love. Or, I mean, you could uh, use different words kind of for those things. Often God's justice uh, shows itself in God's wrath uh, or as opposed to God's love or his mercy and compassion. How does all of that work together? And what we're going to see today is those aren't competing things. And it's not as if, well, what's going to win here, God's love or God's justice? No, throughout all of scripture and even the gospel itself is the purest expression of both the love and the justice of God, Jesus Christ on the cross. But we're going to see some other things today that show us how those things work together. And we're going to start again in Psalm 136. And this Psalm has that familiar refrain in every verse of the Psalm for his steadfast love endures forever. And notice, today we're looking at verses 10 through 22. Look at the very first verse of our reading today, and you will see the love and the justice of God. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever. Think about that for a moment. He struck down the firstborn of Egypt. Why? And then it doesn't say, for his justice endures forever. No, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, here we are going to see how the love of God and the justice of God go together perfectly. Now, let's go back. We're familiar with this story of the firstborn of Egypt. That was the 10th and final plague. And that's also connected to the Passover, why the angel did not destroy the firstborn of the Israelites because they killed the Passover lamb and put the blood around the door frame. Uh, But the Egyptians who did not, the firstborn of the Egyptians uh, were killed. Now that is, a, a plague is a good word for it, right? That is an act of God's judgment on the Egyptians. Pharaoh had repeatedly said no to God. Uh, The nation was in sin with their enslavement of the Israelites, and God came and showed his justice in that. And that's an intense thing. I mean, uh, think about your firstborn. Think about the firstborn of everybody that you know passing away. And really, uh, we don't know what that looked like exactly, but we know ultimately they didn't just pass away randomly. This was caused by the Lord. Uh, It talks about the destroying angel. Uh, killing these firstborn children that you you look at that and you say, whoa, but then it says for his steadfast love endures forever. How can such a destructive act be an expression of God's love? Well, there we see even the wrath of God was meant to show God's love for his people, That, that God's judgment on the Egyptians was an act of love for the Israelites, that God loved his people. God was keeping his promise to his people. And so he brought the people of Israel out. And in doing so, he overthrew the Egyptians. And it refers to that later when it talks about the Red Sea in verse 15, it says, "...but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever." And then speaking of kind of going through the wilderness and the end of the time there, it talks about God striking down great kings for his steadfast love endures forever. And killing mighty kings for his steadfast love endures forever. And then lists some of the kings. And so we're reminded that oftentimes God's judgment and showing his justice and wrath towards a wicked world is actually an expression of God's love for his people. And so it is not love and justice working against each other or competing against each other, but they're working in concert with each other as God shows his love for his people, uh, as he shows his justice and wrath towards a wicked world. And we're also going to see an example of this as we turn to our last reading today, uh, to Revelation chapter 6 and we saw the lamb being worthy to open the scrolls yesterday well today or to open the seals on the scroll and well today he opens the the seals and we see the first four seals the four horsemen of the apocalypse uh, and each one signifying different the first one signifying a peace uh, that comes without conquering, but that peace seems to be short-lived because then it leads to war and then famine and then all kinds of death in the fourth seal. The seal uh, It says, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. So imagine a quarter of the world's population being killed. Um, that's an intense scene, but then things really shift when it gets to the fifth seal. And it says when he opened the fifth seal i saw under the altar the soul of those the souls of those who had been slain for the word of god and for the witness that they had borne they cried out with a loud voice o sovereign lord holy and true how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. And so there we see these the souls of these martyrs under the altar basically crying out, God, do something. Avenge our blood. Show your justice. And so Then we see the sixth seal where things really seem to shift even in these seals and it really seems to be instead of uh, bad things just going on amongst people on the earth, really God uh, stepping in and it speaks there of them hiding from the wrath of the Lamb. So there you see the wrath of God and God now stepping in to avenge his people. And so there we, we see again the love of God and the justice of God, they work together. And there's some practical application as we consider all of this for us, right? That we need to trust the justice of God, just like we trust the love of God. And even when we are commanded, do not return evil for evil. Do not be overcome by evil, rather overcome evil with good. What could possibly motivate us to do that? Well, a trust in both the love and the justice of God. When it says, do not repay evil for evil, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, we can trust that. Trust that because we serve a God who is just and because we trust that his steadfast love really endures forever. So let us consider those things today. Now, we also mentioned the ultimate expression of the love and justice of God we find at the cross, and we are getting closer and closer to the cross as we continue on in the gospel of John, where today we look at verses 12 or chapter 12 verses 27 through 36. And it begins just with an interesting statement where Jesus says, My soul is troubled. I mean, that's a strong statement, really, for for Jesus. He's, he's saying his soul is troubled. And when you think about the perfect human, maybe you think that's something he would never experience, but clearly it is. And, and clearly he doesn't respond to this trouble sinfully uh, nothing he is doing is is wrong but he feels this weight this burden even this anguish in his soul but how does he respond to it as he considers that the coming crucifixion he says but what shall i say father save me from this hour but for this purpose i have come to this hour father glorify your name and even in his time of trouble we see that jesus's priority was not his own Comfort was not just his own will or or way, but ultimately was the glory of his father. And ultimately, his will was the will of his father. His will was not for what was most convenient for him. He wanted to do what would honor his father. And again, this is a template for us that in our suffering, our desire should be, Father, glorify your name. And then we see this voice come from heaven saying, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And eventually leads to Jesus making an amazing statement in verse 22 when he says, and I, when I have drawn, or sorry, verse 32, um, he says, and I, when I have lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And so speaking even of the crucifixion, that God's going to use that to draw all people to him. And that should still be on our hearts today that people would be drawn to this crucified savior and that God would be glorified. In this, you know, we see so much of what should be our heart, the glory of God, people turning to Jesus. Christ. And as we see how how Jesus longed for these things, even if it cost him, even if he had to suffer, may we be built up in our own heart to desire the glory of God and the glory of our savior, Jesus Christ. Let's wrap up today with the book of Ezekiel, where we look at chapters 42 and 43. And again, chapter 42 goes into great detail describing the different chambers and areas of the temple. And again, it's one of the reasons why I struggle to uh, accept any interpretation of this part of Ezekiel uh, that is saying this is all kind of figurative. This seems like a lot of detail for something that's just a a picture. And unless every single detail means something, which we're not given any uh, light into what that might be in the scripture, I think it's best to interpret this as something that is looking forward to the future. But the powerful part today is in chapter 43, where the glory of the Lord comes back. And it says it was like the glory of the Lord that he sees in chapter one. It's like the glory of the Lord that he sees leaving the temple. But now the glory of the Lord comes back. I think that's kind of the big picture. The point of these uh, chapters is that encouragement to this people who are in exile, the people who are struggling uh, with the destruction of Jerusalem and the sadness and the trauma that comes from that, it's not the end of the story. Speaking of a future temple where the glory of God will dwell again, should have given great encouragement to them and it should still give encouragement to us. Even as we consider eschatology with revelation, as we consider the story is not over, Jesus will return, Jesus will reign. Let that encourage our hearts. And may we take comfort that as we anticipate the return of Christ in that moment, we will also see again, the love of God and the justice of God. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.